Thankful you're here tonight. A lot of our folks are still on the way. 1 Thessalonians 5. Please look around you. If someone next to you doesn't have a Bible or can't find their way, maybe they're new to the church, is trying to find a book of the Bible, or uh, maybe they don't have a King James Version translation, you'll help them. That would be a blessing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have uh, some things need to be done. While you're doing that, I need some of the men to help us to stack up the chairs again. We had events yesterday and the night before, and we have another event on Friday. By the way, I'm just thankful for this building. We can host a lot of events. Amen? And uh, so we're gonna, we need to stack up these chairs, and we're merciful to you. We didn't put the ends up. We just did the middle tonight, and so for this evening's service. But if you'll help us to stack it up, guys and ladies, if you'll help us to take the offering envelopes away, that'll help us get ready for the senior banquet this coming Friday night because there's a lot of things happening tomorrow and Friday in preparation for that. Please be in prayer for the graduating seniors of our high school and college who will be acknowledged on Friday night. We have a guest preacher coming in, the youth pastor for... Uh, uh, Central Valley Baptist Church will be here. Brother Chris Asparelli will be the special speaker for that. And we want God to be glorified. We're praying that parents will be encouraged. But most importantly, the, the, the uh, students graduating will be encouraged in the Lord and go on to do great things for God. First Thessalonians 5. Hey, let's do this tonight because we, we've got about 11 verses we're going to read. I'm going to ask the men to read the, the, the odd number of verses. Ladies, you read the even number of verses. Now, I'm looking around here tonight, and we have more men than ladies. That's a good thing, I guess, for tonight. Amen. And uh, it's better to have more men than less men there. So, men, you've got to read the odd number of verses and read it loudly. Read like men, by the way, okay? And then, ladies, you read like ladies. Read loud. Don't let the men outread you tonight. Uh, you're better in your punctuations and knowing when to stop at commas and pronouncing the words right. So, ladies, help me with that. Be, be correct about that. You read the even number of verses. Men, let's start together. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Ladies, for yourselves that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Ladies, we have to work a little harder there. Okay, men, for when they shall say... Ladies. Men, you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Ladies. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. <clears throat> For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies. Everybody in verse 11, all together. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, there are a lot of good, good phrases. And, in fact, this is all good, but there's some, some, some verses, there's some things in these verses that kind of jump out at us tonight in our Bible study. And uh, <coughs> I want you to notice a few of these tonight because we're going to hone in on these in our study. Notice in verse 2, the day of the Lord. Now, that's not the Lord's day. There's a difference. This is the day of the Lord. We're going to talk about the day of the Lord for a moment, uh, contrasted to the day of Christ, contrasted to the day of God. We're going to talk about it for a minute. I want you to go a little bit further and uh, notice that, uh, the, that Paul talks about a thief in the night. What does he mean by that in verse 4? And then notice in verses five, uh, 5 and later on, he talks about being children of the light and children of the day. And then you'll notice he talks about in verse 9, in verses 8 and 9, about uh, two pieces of the armor of God. And uh, he talks about being sober. And then he gives this important verse, verse 9. If you've never underlined it, you need to underline verse 9. That's an important verse in eschatology and helping us to understand 
timelines and where are Christians in relation to the rapture and the great tribulation. You need to underline that. I'm going to give you some proof there that help, will help you. Then notice verse 11. He tells us to comfort yourselves together. By the way, that's a, that's a good thing when a church is comforting one another. Can I hear an amen about that? Amen? It's a good thing we comfort one another. There are people that have trials and difficulties, and they, they need to know that someone's praying for them. And then I want you to notice the, the key thought this evening that is our, our title for the message. Notice in verse 6. Let us not sleep. Let us not sleep. And tonight we want to look at the subject of what does he mean about let us not sleep from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, Father, bless your word this evening. We are so thankful, God, for our prayer time we've had and, and names that have been lifted up and people that have been prayed for. And now tonight as we get into the word of God, this is where we come to the banqueting table and sitting there, Lord, we pray that we're not just here to be served, but to be fed. And as we're fed the Word of God, to go out and serve you and do something for God. May, Lord, you uh, put a stirring in our heart that we remember this evening that you have saved us, you've redeemed us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works, and that we be able to maintain good works, even as Paul told Titus. We pray tonight as we continue uh, just down this pathway of looking at Bible prophecy, and we'll be in this for a little bit here, Bible prophecy and our preparation and how we're to live. God, I pray you help us to be very sensitive to this. Lord, this evening I pray that you make your word understandable to new believers. Lord, for growing believers, for maturing believers, for all of us, whatever stage of growth we're in, help us tonight that the word of God will be understandable. Bless and use our translators tonight as they translate the scriptures into the respective languages being, being translated in. And then tonight we pray for those watching by live stream that you'll build them up as well in the word of your grace. And to help us this evening to glorify and please you now, we pray for your blessing upon this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you like to sleep? Amen. That's good. I heard a greater amen from that than I've heard all week long. Amen. How many like to sleep? How many like to sleep more, not less? Amen. How many like to have uninterrupted sleep? Amen. How many like to have a deep sleep? Okay. How many realize that sleep is important for you? The Bible, the Bible talks about sleep here. Notice, I think a lot of us, we realize that perhaps the hardest part of the day is the moment we're supposed to wake up. Now, I don't care if you're early riser or whatever it may be, probably the hardest part is just waking up. Now, if you're one of those rare people that can just jump out of bed and roll out of just get up right before your alarm clock or whatever, that's a great thing. I'll be honest with you, I'm a place in life, I have to be resurrected every Monday morning, amen, you know? It's just that, that kind of thing there. And if you're like me, sometimes that alarm goes off, you have to set it a little bit earlier than when you want to get up because if you're like me, you probably say, just five more minutes. Just five more minutes, Lord. Just five more minutes. Well, how many understand sometimes five more minutes turns into 30 more minutes, amen, you know? And you feel really guilty about that. I reminded the story of a man who always fell asleep in church because the preacher happened to preach a little bit longer than what he was used to. And it was kind of like Paul. He was long in preaching. And so the preacher was watching his man. He was sitting in the same place all the time, and he'd fall asleep. And so the preacher got kind of annoyed by it. So he talked to one of the deacons. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a switch. And he said, what I want you to do is, is hide that switch when you come to church and make sure you sit behind that man in every service. And he says, when he goes to sleep, I want you to tap that man on the head. Well, the deacon really wasn't sure how hard he was supposed to tap the man, so he did what the preacher told him to do. So as it get, just like it normally was in a service, the very first service, this deacon had the switch. He sat behind that man, and sure enough, after they read the scriptures, they've had their prayer, they sat down. Within minutes, the man just started nodding off, and he wasn't saying nodding off because he was agreeing with the preacher. He was falling asleep there, amen. He started falling asleep, and the deacon started to notice, and as he did so, the deacon took the stick, and he 
hit him on the head like that, and the man woke up. Well, the man didn't get annoyed. He was just kind of glad somebody just kind of woke him up there. But it wasn't long after that, the man started dozing off again, and the preacher, the, the, the deacon started noticing he was going off again. So this time the deacon realized he had to hit him a little harder. So he went whack and hit him a little harder. Well, he hit him so hard that the man fell out of his chair and hit the floor. And so he, he, he got up again, and he just, you know, he didn't get mad. And so, the th so he, this, this went on. A third time the man fell asleep, and the deacon hit him a little bit harder. Well, the man fell over the chair, and this time, instead of getting angry, he got up, and he said, to the, he said to the deacon, he said, hit me again, I can still hear him preaching. And so when he did that, the man, you can realize there, the man just realized that, you know, he, the, that he was going to continue falling asleep there. I think a lot of us are like that, that sometimes we just need to, we, we get into the sleep mode of what happens. I remind in Acts chapter 20, we have the story of Paul going there to the city of Troas, and, and uh, God helped use him to start a church there back in Acts 16. And uh, there was a young man there by the name of Eutychus. It's interesting. We're told the name of the young man. I'm going to tell you tonight, God knows your name if you fall asleep in church. Amen? And so this young man there at Troas, Paul went there, and Paul came with a heavy heart. And uh, Paul, this, was a, this was kind of an interesting church because it had, a, it had different lofts. And it was of uh, the third loft. This young man, Eutychus, he sat on the ledge there outside the window, I guess because it was very warm. They had lights all over over the place to keep the place lit up and the Bible tells that Paul preached to midnight and this young man Eutychus he probably just had a long day and it was warm inside there it was very stuffy and as he sat on that window ledge more of his body was on the outside than it was on the inside and the Bible describes it this way that he he fell out of the church and he died this is what the scripture says it says and as Paul was long preaching he sunk down that is Eutychus he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead now I think we know this tonight there's a right time and a wrong time to sleep amen there's a right time and wrong time to sleep all of us need sleep Sleep is good for the body. Sleep is not bad. I grew up in a generation era where there were some independent Baptist preachers that preached against sleeping. Now, I realize Proverbs says love not sleep, but it's talking about sleeping too much. It's where you get to the place where you just stay in bed all the time because you're just lazy and slothful and don't want to get out of bed. But sleep is important for you. You need sleep. Experts say, medical experts say, that, they, that you need a good seven to eight hours of sleep for your body to be good health. Now, if I can get seven to eight good hours of sleep, I think that'll be a great day. And I think you feel the same way. I think the average person is sleep deprived. They don't get enough sleep. But they say you need seven to eight hours. Ladies, UCSF Medical Center did a study years ago. They determined that a woman needs a minimum of eight hours of good uninterrupted sleep to, to prevent her body from having, uh, having a weakened immune system and having uh, contracting cancer and things like that. And so they have a very extensive study. It's probably online. You can find it there. But sleep is important for us. We realize we need that for our body to slow down and catch up with itself. But tonight, we're warned against not physical sleeping, but against spiritual sleeping. We're warned against sleeping at the wrong time. Notice in verses 6 and 7, Paul said this, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunk in the night. Now, where we're at in 1 Thessalonians 5 is a continuation from 1 Thessalonians 4. Where we saw last time I preached was about three weeks ago. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we saw the subject of the rapture. The believers at Thessalonica wrote to Paul. They were grieving in their heart. They were concerned about loved ones that were saved that died and went to heaven. But they were concerned, will we ever see these loved ones again? They were concerned, will there be a reunion in heaven? What will happen there? Now, Paul had given them some instructions. We'll see in a minute about that. But they kind of forgot about this over time. So Paul, as he's kind of processing all this, is writing to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, you'll notice in verses 13 to 7, 18, Paul writes him a word of comfort. 
And this word of comfort was explaining to them the doctrine of the rapture, the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. The rapture is the first stage of the, of the com- second coming of Christ. It's when Jesus descends from heaven, and he descends from the third heaven into our first heaven. And here in this first heaven, which we know is the firmament, there the dead in Christ shall be called, well, will meet the Lord in the air, and then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the, in the Lord of the air. Now we know that the rapture is a time that will be very sudden. It will be very swift. It will it'll be a time of surprise. We don't know the timing of all that. So as we get to 1 Thessalonians 5, notice it's a continuation. Go back with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. Notice verse 17. <coughs> it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now we go to chapter 5. Now remember, the, the translators, as we got the written word of God, they added the breaks. But when it was written in the parchments, it did not have any breaks. It was continuation. And so chapter 5, verse 1, is a continuation of where he left off. He's still on the subject of the rapture. He's still on the subject of the second coming of Christ. But he's going a little bit further, and he talks about what happens there. And so tonight, I want to break this down for us in our study this evening, and I want us to understand and be exhorted why it's important for us to be ready when Jesus comes, because that's the essence here. He wants to tell us, how, in fact, he is telling us how, why we should be ready and how we should be ready for when Jesus comes. Hey, listen, tonight, beloved, we believe in the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus could come at any moment. Jesus is coming soon. We have a song in our hymnal. We don't sing it at all. We probably should. It says, maybe today my Lord will come for me. Paul was so expecting, uh, so expectant of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in, 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 in uh, uh, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're continuing on this same thought. Notice four things about how and why we should be ready for the coming of the Lord. Notice in verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks about that certain day, that certain day. He talks about that day that we should be anticipating. Notice in verse 1, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now Paul is giving in two verses an incredible amount of theology there. First of all, Paul had already instructed these believers about this theology. He had already instructed them about the coming of the Lord. Notice again, he says, of the times and the seasons, you have no need that I write unto you. He says, you don't really need me to do so. And he said in verse 2, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh. Now that is very convicting for us for just a moment. Look up here for a minute. That is very convicting if you think about this for a minute. Paul had so instructed them about the coming of the Lord. They were so well ingrained about about what we call eschatology, about things to come. He said to them, you know perfectly about the day of the Lord. Now, he was talking about the fact they had some acquaintance with the Old Testament, what the Old Testament says, as well as what Paul taught, because this was unfolding theology at that time. They did not have all the completed word of God. And the first first Thessalonians was one of the first letters that Paul wrote there. And so, as we think about this, this thought, Paul spent enough time with these believers to get them ingrained about prophecy. Now, I want to encourage you tonight. You need to be like these Thessalonian believers. I need to be like this Thessalonian believer. We need to, be, we need to have perfect knowledge. We need to be knowledgeable and understand. We need to rightly discern the Word of God. Now, I want to caution as I say that, your, your, your temptation would be to go out and find any book on the marketplace that's on eschatology. Don't do that because there's a lot of wrong theology about eschatology. You're going to get into all kinds of different things that will get to be very confusing. You're going 
going to be wondering, am I pre-trib, am I mid-trib, am I post-trib? Am I post-millennial, pre-millennial, or all-millennial? You're going to be wondering, you're going to be wondering, am I, am I, well, you know, am I, you know well, are you, are you pre-terrorist? Or you're going to be wondering, are you, are you, uh, are you a pre-wrath? What are you about all these things? And if you're not very careful, you're going to pick up a book that looks very appealing, and you're going to get the wrong theology about that. I had a man visit me not too long ago. And uh, he, he came up here to visit us on our church, and he, and he wanted to know some things about us, and we got to talking, and I knew a little bit about his theology. And so I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, what, what do you believe about the, about the rapture here? And, uh, and he, got, he, he laughed a little bit, and I said, well, let's, just tell, let's talk about it. He said, well, I'm pre-wrath. Now, pre-wrath means this. They believe, Barry, basically, that Jesus, that the believers are going to go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and at the three and a half year mark, they're going to be raptured up. Now, we don't believe that. We believe we're going to be raptured before, before the great tribulation, and I'm going to that to you tonight from verse Thessalonians 5. So he mentioned that. He said, he's pre-wrath. He said, what are you? I said, I'm pre-trib. Amen. I'm pre-trib. I said, we're, I'm, we're, we're, we're going up. And I gave him the verse and so forth. We said, well, we don't have to be divisive about it. I said, I'm not being divisive. I'm being biblically correct. Amen. We're not being divisive about the matter. We're being biblically correct about the matter. So, I mean, tonight we have to understand that Paul wrote these believers. He wanted to make sure they understood that they knew perfectly the day of the Lord. Now, if the Lord leads me this fall to get into a series on Revelation on Sunday morning, you need to follow that because we're going to be spending some time going through that so that you can be theologically correct about what you believe about eschatology there. You can defend your, you can defend the Word of God. Now, Paul talks about them knowing this perfectly, but he said something else here. He talks about two things that are important about that certain day. Notice, first of all, in verse, verse, verse 2, he talks about it being a day of significance. Would you look at verse 2 again? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, the, these believers were very well acquainted with the phrase, the day of the Lord. The Old Testament contains... Well, verses there about the day of the Lord. The New Testament concerns itself with the day of the Lord. Now, where we see this mentioned, the day of the Lord is referred to a timeline. It's a day of significance. The day of the Lord begins at the moment the believers are raptured up and the great tribulation period starts. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying there, okay? I don't want you confused this evening. Here, watch this again. The day of the Lord begins at the moment the believers, those of us who are saved, are raptured up and the great tribulation begins. Immediately after we are raptured, if the rapture happened right now, if it happened right now, the great tribulation would happen immediately because following the rapture would be seven years of great tribulation. Now the day of the Lord incorporates that moment when we're raptured up and, and the world continues on without us here and, the, and, and it'll be a time of great tribulation and the day of the Lord continues until the second coming or, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we come with him and he establishes his kingdom on earth. That is referred to as the day of the Lord. Now as you study the scriptures, you'll notice this. The day of the Lord is used 23 times in the Bible, 18 of those times in the Old Testament. Old Testament believers did not have a, a, if you would, an unveiling of the Lord. They didn't have a revelation about the rapture. Now we see a picture of the rapture in Enoch's life. And we see a picture of the rapture somewhat, if you would, when we look at, uh, when we look at, um, uh, uh, Elijah when he was taken up in, 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 in the fiery chariot. But probably the best example is Enoch because as we saw on Sunday morning, the Bible says God translated him. God took him. God took him out. He was not and God took him. That's the best example of a rapture. When the rapture occurs, we don't die. Those of us who get caught up in the clouds and meet the dead in Christ, we don't die. We get caught up. That's a wonderful thing. I'm praying for the rapture during our generation. Amen? I'm praying for the rapture while I'm alive and you're alive. I pray. It'd be great to have a church service right here and we all get raptured up together. Amen? And we leave the mortgage behind for whoever else comes after us. Amen, you know? But I'm just saying tonight, it'd be a wonderful thing to experience that, that we go up together with the Lord, to be the Lord in the air. But as that happens, it's not a good thing for everybody left behind. 
Because everybody left behind will experience that day of the Lord. Old Testament believers understood the day of the Lord. It spoke about judgment. It spoke about judgment to come. Notice in verse 9, the Bible says, For God has not appointed us to wrath. Now we see the word wrath is talking about, it's in reference to the wrath of God that will be poured upon the world during the great tribulation time. Go with me to Revelation 6.17, please. Revelation 6.17. And I want you to notice in Revelation 6.17 how it refers to the, the, the tribulation as a day of great wrath. Revelation 6.17. In Revelation 6, we have, the, we have to start the unfolding of the great tribulation period. And we see the seal judgments, and later on we'll see the bowl judgments and trumpet judgments, things like that. And he says here, as he describes these, this, the, the, some of the seal judgments, he summarizes chapter 6 of Revelation verse 17. For the great day of his wrath to come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, the, the, the great tribulation is that time of the day of the Lord. We see the wrath, the word wrath describing this. It's describing as a time of the judgment of God, when God is in control and will judge and will come with judgment, power, and wrath on, on this world. Now, when you read your Bible, you'll notice in Philippians chapter 1, references made to the day of Christ. Where the day of Christ is referenced, I believe the day of Christ is talking about the rapture. I believe it's talking about when believers are being raptured. It has, it has if you would, the lead into the day of the Lord. If you get to first, Second Peter chapter three, uh, Second Peter chapter three, we have reference to the day of God. The day of God is in reference to when God makes a new heavens and a new earth. This is at the time of, at, at, right around the time of the great white throne judgment. That's the day of God. So we notice there are distinctions there. Now sometimes you'll read the Bible and you're going to read about the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the first day of the week. That coincides with the day Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. The Lord's day is when we worship God. The Lord's day was when we assemble together to celebrate the risen, the rising of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The Lord the Lord's day and the day of the Lord are not the same. Do we understand that tonight? Amen? The Lord's day and the day of the Lord are not the same. So we see a day of significance. He talks about here the day of the Lord so cometh. He's talking about judgment to come. He's talking about what will follow after the rapture. Listen, the day of the Lord is associated with judgment. We must be sober. It's a day of significance. But notice in verse 2, it is also a day of secrecy. Notice he says in verse 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Have you ever had somebody break in your house at night? You ever had, know anybody that where their house got broken in at night, they slept through the night and didn't realize it got ripped off? You ever left your car on the driver on the street and somebody broke in and stole things out of your car at night? He has that idea of a thief that comes at night. A thief in the night is someone who steals something unannounced. A thief in the night, other people are sleeping when they do their work. They come when they're not expected. They come in stealth and in secrecy. They come to steal and to take away. Hey, Jesus comes to take away the saved. He comes as a thief in the night. He comes when you least expect it. He comes at a time when people are somewhat, they're slumbering away. The Lord will come suddenly, secretly, and stealthily. His coming will be a surprise. Those unprepared will be caught off guard. We see that certain day, that certain day when Jesus comes for the saints. He comes for us. It will also be an introduction of a time of great judgment against the world we see that certain day but notice secondly we see something else we not only see the second day uh, 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 that certain day but notice in verse 3 Jesus Paul refers here to sudden destruction Paul said in verse 3 for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape now what's Paul doing there in verse 3, he's describing 
he's giving us a description of this tribulation period. He calls it a time of sudden destruction. Now, we're going to save a little bit of what I want to say tonight until we get to, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because we'll get more into this in 2 Thessalonians 2, and may take a moment to kind of briefly go through some of those judgments that Revelation talks about. But notice in verse 3, he gives us some description about this time of sudden destruction. The destruction. Notice, first of all, he talks about a false delusion. He says that, that during that time, people will say peace and safety. You know, in that first three and a half years of, of, the, of the great tribulation period, there will rise a great one world leader. We don't know his name, but he's referred to as the beast. And as the beast or the antichrist, the name beast associated talked about someone who's very fierce and someone very ferocious and someone who's to be feared. This man will somehow be able to amalgamate and consolidate all of the world politically, financially, uh, legally, uh, every way you can think of. He's going to be able to pull all that together. He's going to pull all the central banking systems together. I mean, all these things that are going on, cryptocurrencies and federal reserves and all of these things we have going on that we read about. I mean, this man is going to have an unusual prowess to pull all those things together. And then there'll be peace pacts being made and establishment. And during that time, there'll be a brief period of time where this man is going to actually take a bold stand for Israel, get representing that he's, that he's for Israel and will establish peace in the land. And what he's referring to there, that there will be a lull around the world where people will say there is peace and safety. They'll say no more wars and no more heartache and none of these things. It will be a time where they call, where people will describe briefly as a time of peace and safety. Now our president has coined a term that uh, uh, to describe the news that CNN and the internet and the, and the, and the media gives us, he calls it fake news. What, you, what they're going to be referring to there is fake news. There will not be peace and safety. Jesus told us there over in the book of Matthew, take heed that no man uh, per, uh, deceive you there. There'll be a time of false delusion. They'll say peace and safety. Be very careful. People say we're going to, we're headed towards a utopia. We're not headed towards a utopia. We're headed to sudden destruction. Amen? So notice here tonight, there's false delusion. But then he goes on by saying in verse 3, he describes a fatal doom. He says, for when they shall say peace and destruction, then uh, safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. Now there's three things he says there that's pretty scary. First of all, he says sudden destruction cometh upon them. That's a way of introducing the great tribulation period. The great tribulation, the word tribulation itself in the Greek talks, is the word tribulum. And tribulum talks about pressure that is exerted when something is squeezed. He's talking about a time period where there's going to be a lot of squeezing, a lot of pressure, a lot of difficulty. This great tribulation period is described in Daniel 9.27 as the 70th week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. It is described over in Jeremiah chapter 30 as the time of Jacob's trouble. The word great tribulation itself is a, are Bible words. They're found in Matthew 24.21 as Matthew describes this great tribulation period. It is a time of judgment upon the Jews. It is a time of judgment upon the world. It is a great time of great apostasy. It is the day of God's great wrath as we saw in Revelation 6.17. It says again, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? It is a time of unprecedented calamities and death. If you read the sealed judgments, it is a time of economic collapse. 
It is a time of, it is a, time of a lot of wars and bloodshed. It is a time of, of, uh, where, the, where the whole weather pattern will be all messed up, and there will be calamities. There will be earthquakes that are unprecedented, and uh, things will come upside down. There will be food shortages and things of that nature. It's going to be a time the whole world will be suffering, not just segments of the world, but the entire world will be suffering. There will be un- calamities all over there. He calls it a time of sudden destruction. He describes it, he analogizes it to a woman who is in travail, a woman who travails with child. And women understand travail. They know when those birth pains come that they're going to increase and they're going to come frequently and it's going to be very painful and very intolerable. And he says what will happen during that time will be intolerable to everyone. They'll be wondering what is going on and how do we survive all this. And then he says something else that is very frightening. Would you notice verse 3? This fatal doom, he says, and they shall not escape. You know, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 2, 3, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now let that grip us for just a minute. If you have a loved one that doesn't get saved before the rapture occurs, when the great tribulation comes, they're going to believe a false delusion that Satan will send in this world. The Holy Spirit will be lifted out of this world. And there'll be a great delusion, a great lie that people believe. In fact, they'll get over the fact that Christians have disappeared and been raptured. They'll fabricate some story in the media to make them believe that people just went into hiding. They'll call it a hoax of some kind, and people will downplay and just forget all about it. But those people who heard the gospel before the rapture, when they get into that great tribulation period, they will not get saved because they're going to believe that lie. And we have to understand something tonight. They will not escape. There will be a time and over one-third of the world will die during this great tribulation. If they don't die from a, from a crisis like an earthquake, and if they don't die from some kind of tsunami, and they don't die from some kind of a flood or a hurricane, they're going to die in some kind of a war or some kind of a poisoning or some kind of a food shortage or, they, if they, or something of that nature. Now, there will be people who get saved, and we know that there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, Jewish people that'll get, that will get saved, and they'll awaken to the fact that someone's got to get the gospel out. And these 144,000 fervent evangelists will go over all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24 when he said the gospel will be preached all over the world. During that period of time, there'll be great evangelism, but all of them will face persecution. Many of them will be beheaded. There'll be beheadings galores. There'll be blood flowing throughout the streets and rising up. They said the bloodshed during the time of the tribulation will reach up to the horse's bridle. That's, pretty, that's a lot of bloodshed. It'll be a time of terribleness. And listen, people are going to be looking for caves and dens they can hide in. The Bible describes a time of no escape. Now, I'm not talking some dream. I'm not talking some fantasy. I'm not talking something that's outer space or fictional. I'm not talking about something on cable TV. This is real stuff, brother and sister in Christ. This is the Bible I'm talking about. This is Bible prophecy. We better wake up, brother and sister in Christ. There'll be no escape for those people. If there's ever time we need to be fervent about the gospel and try to help people escape coming judgment, we need to do it right now. And let me say tonight, if you're not saved, you better get saved now. It's time of no escape. Paul talks about that certain day. Paul talks about sudden destruction. But we just hung on there, man. It'd be all messed up, amen? Look at verses 9 and 9 to 11. Paul talks about a sanctified deliverance. Hey, I'm thankful tonight God loves us, Amen? I'm thankful God not only loves us so much, God has his plan all written out for you and me. And we see this sanctified deliverance. We read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ here as he gave to Paul. He gives us words in verses 9 to 11 of great encouragement and hope. Would you notice three things he tells us in verses 9, 10, 11? First of all, true believers will not go through the tribulation. Amen. 
Notice verse 9. For God has not appointed us to wrath. Now, the, remember, the context takes us back to the rapture in chapter 4. That the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord represents his time of wrath and tribulation. But we are not appointed to wrath. Now, who are we? He says we. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the believers that are saved. He's talking about us, who he calls children of the day and children of the night. Now, listen, if you're scared about being left behind, you ought to be if you're not saved. But if you're saved, you should be thankful. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're going to beat the Lord in the air. Amen? We're not appointed to wrath. We're not going to go through that time. Watch this here. If we go to over there to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we have Jesus talking to seven churches of Asia Minor. That refers to seven distinct church ages. As we get to the end of chapter 3, we start chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 1, we see the Lord. He, he calls out from heaven. He says, come up hither. We believe chapter 4, verse 1 represents the rapture of the believer. And then as the believers are being raptured, we get a glimpse of what we're going to be doing in heaven in chapter 4 and chapter 5. By the way, heaven is going to be a beautiful place. Amen? Heaven's going to also be a busy place. It's a place where we're worshiping God and honoring the Lord. We're going to be bowing before his feet. We're going, to be, we're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ and whatever crowns and rewards we've earned, we will place that back at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as we get through chapters 4 and 5 there, now we get to chapter 6 of Revelation and we see the introduction of the, of the great tribulation period. And in Revelation 6 to Revelation 18, we see the great tribulation unfolding there. So notice this here if we go to verse 9. The Bible says as far as you and I are concerned, he says, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thank God we're under his blood, and thank God we're saved, and thank God that if we die before the rapture, our bodies will be in the grave, but praise God, our soul will be with the Lord. This mortal will put on immortal, and this corruptible will put on incorruptible, and we're going to put off this tabernacle, and we're going to just glorify God that we are with the Lord, and we'll be with him forever. But the day will come when the rapture occurs, our dead, corruptible bodies will become incorruptible and glorified, and the they'll be quickly brought up into the air to be with the Lord forever in the air. So tonight, you can be thankful. You and I who are saved are not appointed under wrath. Amen? Amen. Second, look at verse 10. Regardless if we're dead or alive, we live together with our Lord. It says of Jesus Christ who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, and sleep in this context means we're dead. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, he's talking about future, but he also has the idea of present. The key word is living with the Lord. The key thought is live. Can I encourage you tonight? Live. Amen? Don't, don't languish. Live. Enjoy life. Enjoy cheese. You know, that's what he said in Deuteronomy. Choose life. Listen, life has its problems, and life has its aches, and life has its pains, and life has its sorrows, and life has its sicknesses, and life has its discouragement, and even for some, life has its depression. But I want to encourage you tonight, live in Jesus Christ. Live in the joy of the Lord. Live happily. Live in Christ. Live rejoicing. Live, live. I mean, enjoy life. Live in Jesus Christ. Live in prayer. Live as a strong witness. Live as a soul winner. Live with forgiveness. Live in joy and not in bitterness. Live in victory. Jesus. Jesus is your life tonight. And so, verse 9, he encourages we're not appointed to wrath. In verse 10, he says we should live together with the Lord. But notice verse 11. Knowing Jesus is coming, we're to comfort and edify one another. Now, can I say this tonight? Please don't misinterpret this. There's a lot of things we do good as a people. As we grow as a church, as we age, and we have a lot of uh, people hitting special events, 
We celebrate those events. We have times together. We have good times together. We're really good, and pardon me for saying this because I can't think of a better word, but we're really good at partying. We're really good at banqueting. We're really good at special events and fellowships. But when I go to verse 11, I remind you tonight as a church, as our church ages, as more people come into the church and have challenges, as you have challenges, the Bible says our corporate responsibility as a church is to comfort and edify one another. Now, you can go to all the parties you want, but I have never gone to a party in 47 years being Christian. I've never gone to a party that's ever edified me. It's, it's, it's helped. I, I've, I've, I've edified in eating, okay? But it's never edified me spiritually. You know what I'm saying there. And we need, we need to kind of rebalance our lives a little bit here, realizing, hey, some of us here tonight need to kind of look out of the body of Christ and realize there's some people here that could just use a word of encouragement. Young people need to be encouraged that they can live for God. Someone discouraged needs to be encouraged that they can have faith. Someone who's not seen their prayers answered needs to be encouraged to keep on praying. I'm just saying tonight, he says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as all you do. Now, bear in mind the context of this. These, these believers back at, at Thessalonica, they were going through the ringer. I mean, when Paul went there, I mean, he brought, he brought havoc on the, whole sit, on the churches there. And, and just, you know, Jason, Jason, we read there in Acts chapter 17, Jason, his household got invaded. The Jews invaded there. They dragged him out. Then they brought him before the civil authorities, and they told him, if you want out, you've got to pay a fine. You've got to pay a fee to get out of this. I mean, there's all kinds of shenanigans like that going on, and the per- they were facing great persecution. But in the face of great persecution, this church at Thessalonica was thriving. This church at Thessalonica was growing. This church at Thessalonica, in fact, was at the place where they were described as these that have turned the world upside down for Jesus. This church was anticipating the second coming. Paul described them in chapter 1 as a people here. He said, notice this. He said, he he talked about their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. He talked about them, how the power, the gospel came to empower in the Holy Ghost. He said, for from them sounded out the word of the Lord, not only Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place your face, the God word is spread abroad, so I need not to speak anything. Hey, it's a wonderful thing when a church gets to the place where the leaders don't have to be doing all the preaching so many. It's a wonderful place when the, when the body of Christ is so on fire for God and so ingrained about winning souls, they just get out and win souls for Jesus. Amen? Yes. And listen, when you think about the fact there are going to be some that, go through the, that could go through the tribulation and there's no escape. That should, this is what, what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. We need to be persuaded that people need to get saved. And by the way, if we don't persuade them, their blood is on our hands, brother and sister in Christ. And so Paul, as he's talking here about these believers, he talks about that certain day. The day of the Lord is coming. He talks about the sudden destruction. He says, when it comes, there'll be destruction. There'll be no escape. He said the experience of it will be like a woman in travail. He talks about here, as we saw in a moment ago, he talks about this great deliverance, the sanctified deliverance that God gives us. He gives us hope, reminding us that we're not going through tribulation, we're saved. But as we, we remind ourselves, we're here, we're to give comfort to one another, we're to live for Christ. But as we close tonight, would you notice verses 4 to 8, and this is the crux of our message as we close tonight. In this last encouragement, Paul talks about steadfast disciples. It's a steadfast call for you and I to be steadfast disciples who anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
want you to notice some things as we close tonight. Notice in verses 4 to 5, Paul talks about that, the fact that we are appointed. He said, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. Now, he's talking about something that distinguishes us, saved and unsaved. He could have used the term saved and unsaved. He didn't. He talked about day and night. Now, go back to Genesis 1. Remember when God made creation, he made the day and he made the night. They're both different. Children of the night do things in the night. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Darkness is associated with sin. Darkness is associated with our, our behavior when, before we're saved. But he says you know, you're no longer that. He says you are children of the light. Notice Ephesians 5.8. Do you see that there tonight? Ephesians 5.8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know what he's saying to us? When we were, before we were saved, our practices were in darkness. We did things secretly. We lied. We cheated. We swore. We cursed. We peeked at things on the internet we shouldn't have been looking at. We did things stealthily. We, know, we did things well, knowing that we don't want to ever be caught. We don't ever want to be found. We don't ever want to have the shame of somebody discovering we did these things. He said, you did those things in the night. You lived in the night. You thrived. By the way, when Judas, when, by the Bible says when Satan entered Judas, he went out in the night. It says about Saul that when Saul took the, when got to the, the witch of Endor and he partook of the food she placed before him, the Bible says he and his, he and his men went out at the night. Hey, no, bad things happen at night. I remember years ago, I, I, oh, I was listening to a, a CHP officer give a lecture about something there, and he was telling the people in this lecture, he says, listen, if your car ever breaks down at night, if your car ever breaks down in the day, do not come out of your car. He says, stay in there, call for help, and stay in that car. And this is what he said. He said, bad Bad things happen at night. And I'm reminded tonight that the Lord is telling us, you know, if you're saved, those nocturnal practices should not be part of your life. Amen? Those nighttime practices should not be part of your life. He says here in verse 4, you are children of the light and children of the day. We are God's children. Hey, how many are you thankful tonight you're a child of God? Amen? And we like to rejoice that God is our Father and say, Abba, Father. But I remind you today, he says that we're to be children of the day and children of life. We are God's offspring. We're to walk in the light as he is in the light. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, we walk in light as he is in light. We have fellowship one with the light, one another and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses from all sin. But I remind you tonight, you can't stop at 1 John 1, 7. You've got to read through all of 1 John and realize what he's talking about. They're about walk in light. That means we need to love our brethren as we love ourselves. We need to be in love with each other. And we need to be in love with Jesus Christ. And we need to anticipate his coming. And we need to be proclaiming Jesus Christ. We're to be walking light and not walking light. Listen, there's no place for a child of God to be having one foot in darkness and one foot in Light. It's time to step out and get in the light, amen? And so he says tonight, we have, we have this, uh, he talks about the fact that we are appointed. But notice in verses six, 6 and 7, he talks about our apprehension. Knowing we're children of the light, knowing that we're not supposed to, not to be in the night, but in the light, look what he says in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let us not sleep. Now, sleeping here is not talking about being dead, as he references in verse 9. Or verse 11. He's referencing here about, he's talking about spiritually asleep. When your senses are dull. 
where you're unaware of what's going on. You've become careless and indolent and indifferent. You've gotten to the place where you, don't, where you just have an indifferent attitude. You're apathetic and lukewarm about everything. And he says here in verse 6, he's pleading with these brethren here in chapter, chapter 5, verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others. He's, ch- he's making comparison now. He says, you know this and I know this. He says, there's some that are just asleep. They're not busy for God. They're still living in the darkness. They're not living as children of the light. He says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Notice he talks about the fact, you know, sleeping is when we sleep at nighttime. Nighttime is when, most, in most cases, unless you have a job that requires you to work the night, we sleep at night. And we want to sleep soundly tonight. But he says, spiritually speaking, don't sleep in the night. He's reminding us what Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. We must be watchful. We must be careful. We should not sleep. He uses this metaphor to describe someone who's let his guard down and is unaware that danger is looming there. He says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Hey, we're to sit on that wall and we're to be looking out there even though it's dark and making sure if there's any movement, we're careful to, to notice that movement and realize that is movement that may be against us. And we're to be watchful, not sleeping. We're to watch and pray lest we enter to temptation. Notice this tonight. We're to sleep. Uh, and we, we're not to be sleeping when we should be serving God. And we're not to be sleeping when we should be praying. And we're not to be sleeping when we should be winning souls. And by the way, we should not be sleeping when Jesus comes again. And then notice verses 5 and 8. He says, let us therefore be sober. And like he did in Ephesians 5, he says, he says they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And he used the term drunkenness to talk about someone who's fully inebriated, fully controlled by alcohol. They're not themselves. They're controlled by another substance. He says, they that are drunken are drunken in the night. And he's reminding us tonight, we need to be sober. We need to be alert. We're to be careful not letting things control us that, that distract our thinking and distract our motive. And distract. Hey, by the way, tonight, let's just be honest this evening. We live in a very busy society. As we get to these different age brackets and different places in life and different experiences, we can get very easily distracted and sidetracked about things, and we tend not to be sober. So he says, let us watch and be sober. Let's always be ready. And then what you notice tonight, one last thing he tells us. He talks about our apprehension, and he talks about our appointment. But you notice verse 8? As we close tonight, and Paul talks about our apparel. Now, unlike Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about all the articles, all the pieces of our spiritual armor. He only talks about two here. Do you notice that? He talks about two critical components, two critical pieces of the spiritual armor that we must have on so that we can not fall asleep and so that we can stay sober. And he says in verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, interesting, he notices he, in, in Ephesians 6, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, anybody who ever saw a Roman soldier, a Roman, Roman sentry, they knew exactly what he talked about. He talked about, it, it talked basically about a, a, a piece of armor that went from their shoulders down to here. It covered their torso. It covered their vital organs. They knew that if, a, if an arrow was shot, it would be shot at such a velocity. And it was so sharp at its, at its point that it could pierce even the armor. 
So they made that armor very thick. They knew that if they engaged in combat with short swords or long swords, that if that sword got through, if you were unprotected, it would pierce your body. It would pierce right through and injure your organs. And so he's talking about two things that are very important here. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. You know what he's saying there? We need to, during, during this time of being sober and children of the day and not sleeping, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. For out of the heart cometh forth the issues of life. Out of the heart are wicked things. We need to guard our heart. We need to watch our heart. We need to keep our heart tender. We need to keep our heart sensitive. We need to keep our heart in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we need to have a heart filled with God's love. We need to fill it up with God's love and protect it. We need to have a heart that's filled with faith. You know what he's saying here? The moment we start sleeping and becoming indolent is the time we're exercising less faith. Listen, church, I know we're tired, and I know we're getting older, and I know we've had a lot of offerings, and I know we're busy, and I know we get falsely accused of saying we're people on the outside saying we burn people out. We're not doing that. You get burned out, you need to step back a little bit and catch your breath, amen? But here's what I'm saying. We can get so busy with all these things, we tend to lack faith. We don't get excited about exercise. Listen, churches that don't exercise faith are churches that are not executing the vision God has for it. We must exercise faith. Why? It's a commandment of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen, we must have hearts filled with faith. Hearts filled with faith, pray for great things. And hearts filled with faith, pray for big things. And pray for God to do the impossible. And hearts filled with faith, want God to do the incredible. Listen, tonight, let's be a church filled with a heart of faith. Amen? And so he says, tonight, you need to put on the breastplate of faith. Have a breastplate of love. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You got bitterness and you've got hatred and you've got anger and resentment. You need to get all that poison out of your heart and you need to get the love of Jesus back in your heart tonight. Amen. He doesn't talk about just the breastplate of faith and love. Notice he talks about the helmet of salvation. He said, number one, we need to protect our hearts, but number two, we better protect our heads. You better protect your heads. You better protect your thought life. A helmet protected the head and gave them extra measure of protection so they wouldn't have major head injuries. And he talks about here the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation is positive and not negative. Amen? hope of salvation is thinking all things work together for good to them that love God. The hope of salvation is thinking Jesus never fails. By the way, he doesn't fail. Amen? The hope of salvation is that God answers prayer. The hope of salvation is that it always gets better, never gets worse. The hope of salvation is thinking that all the time Jesus is coming soon. He says, listen, for the armor, he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Hey, tonight, let's guard our hearts and let's guard our heads and let's be careful tonight as we go out and live for Jesus and we're trying to live for God. Let's make sure our hearts and our heads are all in the right place for God. A traveler in Switzerland discovered a beautiful estate was secluded outside somewhere by a beautiful lake. He had his walking stick with him. He's walking out there and just, he came across and he said, man, look at this building, this house. And he was impressed with just leading up to the house. He saw the garden and the landscape and the trees and the flowers. And it looked like a professional landscaper put all that together. And he says, man, it's so well manicured and so well taken care of. And as he got a little bit closer, he got to the garden gate and he saw a man working in the garden there. 
This man was an older man, kind of bent over. He was the caretaker of the property. The man was a little bent over from age, and he'd just been working the garden, doing all the work around there for a period of time. And that man saw this man at the knock of the gate, and, and he said, Sir, can I help you? He says, Yes, sir. He was walking through. I never knew this place existed. And the man, the caretaker, said, Yeah, most people don't know this place exists. He said, well, do you mind? Can I come inside and take a look? He's sure. That's when we're taking care of all this. I'd love to have you come in. He came inside, gave him a tour of everything. And he asked, that, he asked the caretaker this question. The traveler asked the caretaker this question. He said, sir, how long have you been here? And the caretaker said, I've been here for a very long time. And he said, well, where's the man that owns this place? He's not here. He's away on a far journey. He said, uh, how long has it been since your, your master last returned? Oh, it's been many, many years. He said, has he even come? Well, how many times has he been here? He says, my master has this beautiful estate. He put me in charge of taking care of it. But he's gone majority of the time. 95% of the time, he's gone. He's not here. He said, well, how many times has he been back? Well, maybe four times. He says, how long has it been since he's been here before? He says, many years ago. It's very, very seldom that anybody comes by here. The man was looking around. He saw the well-manicured gardens, and he saw the, guard, the grass neatly cut. He saw the beautiful flower beds. He saw the wonderful fruit trees and how they'd been pruned and fruit that was growing. He saw all these beautiful things there. And he saw the landscape, how the house was well taken care of. And he asked this man this question. He says, sir, you have this garden and this house in such perfect order. Everything is flourishing as if you're expecting your master to return tomorrow. And the man said this in response, no, sir. I have it fixed as if he were coming today. And I close this evening by saying the same thing. Let's have it all fixed as if Jesus is coming today. D.L. Moody was asked one day, they said, Mr. Moody, you're preaching. How do you explain what God is doing through your ministry? He said, as a young man, I determined many years ago, I'm not only going to live in anticipation Jesus is coming soon, but my messages and my preaching will be in preaching that anticipates Jesus is coming soon. Beloved, I encourage you tonight. The Lord tells us this evening to comfort one another and edify one another. We're to live as children of the day and to be sober, not sleeping. He tells us we're not appointed to wrath. He tells us to put on for our breastplate, a breastplate of faith and love to protect our heart. He tells us to protect our head and our thoughts, to put on the helmet of hope, that, which gives us the hope of salvation. Tonight, let's just get refired up and get revived and live as if Jesus could come tonight, because he could come tonight. I believe as we watch things unfold in our world, we're getting closer and closer to Jesus coming, not delaying and further and further away. And our prayer should be, just as Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come.